The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. This morning, I need to apologize to you right now. Um, I was a senior pastor for seven years before I went on the mission field, and so I don't get to preach that much, so I've got about four years of sermons in me that I need to get out this morning. Is that okay with you? I can never sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, without thinking of a, a story. I, I've been um, in Jamaica about 14 years, and I'm the director of an organization called One by One to Jamaica, and we lead Americans into the Harmons Valley in um, um, in Jamaica. The Harmons Valley is nestled between two mountains in the middle of the island where there's no running water, and very few people have electricity. And so I lead Americans there. We build houses. We do medical missions, and we teach relational evangelism principles to the Americans that come through through there, we host about 900 volunteers a year. So when I'm not in Jamaica, I live in in Paris, Texas. And so I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I've enjoyed worshiping with you, and I y'all have a beautiful church, and um, there's beautiful people in it. So thank you for having me this morning. Um, but the, but what I was talking about, blessed insurance, is the fact that we there's a nursing home. Um, it's probably the most deplorable nursing home that you've ever seen. That we we started taking groups to about um, 14 years ago, and the very first time I walked into this nursing home, and um, I won't describe it to you because um, it, it's just it's just a bad, bad uh, conditions there. They put all the emotionally challenged people um, in Jamaica, uh, physically challenged people, mentally challenged people, or people that just cannot take care of themselves, they put them into this place called the infirmary. And so we take Americans there because they have no one, and no one comes to see or visit the people in the infirmary. Um, the very first time I went there, I was a little bit taken back. I had a group of about 40 teenagers with me, and so I decided I was just going to man up and go in and um, brave the, the elements. And I, I walked up, and uh, there was a lady sitting in a, uh, laying in a bed. She was a paraplegic, and her name was Pearl. And, and I said, Pearl, how are you doing? And she goes, well, she said, we don't have much help here. Um, it's been three months since I've been turned, and I've got bed. And then she just stopped. And she said, but you know what? God is so good. I have no reason to complain. She goes, what's your name? And I said, Brian. She goes, Brian, how can I pray for you? In the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of not having any material possessions, in the midst of not having any financial resources whatsoever, or people coming to see her, in the midst of all of that, Jesus was enough. So if you come to Jamaica and you learn that one lesson that Jesus is enough through whatever you go through, um, you've learned a valuable lesson. Amen. And so I walk down and there's a bench in front of the men's dormitory. And and there's about four uh, handicapped men that normally um, sit right there in front of the um, the the. Uh, bench on the bench. So I sit down in the middle of them. And I tried to talk to them. They couldn't really carry on a co- conversation with me. And so I prayed with them. I read scripture with them and everything. And then I got up to leave and I'll never forget what I heard. I took three steps away from them and all of a sudden they began to sing. And they began singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Did I mention that they were singing in perfect harmony? Heir of submission, purchase of blood, born of his spirit, born of his love. And I about lost it when they started singing this. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Jesus just slapped me right upside my head. 
And he said, Brian, that's exactly what I created them for. They're doing exactly what I created them to do. And I want you, just whatever you do in life, I just want you to praise my name. I want you to glorify my name. And if you'll do that, Brian, then you will do what I created you to do. You know, that's true. That's true. I, um, I, I, I was a youth minister for 25 years um, and um, senior pastor for seven. And God called me to um, um, be a missionary in Jamaica. And when we're not in Jamaica, we do live in Paris. Um, being we, I came home August the 22nd, so I've been home for a little bit. And one thing that's just really burdened my heart since I've been home is the shape that the United States is in. As I listen to um, all of the negative news, I quit watching news channels. One is you can't believe everything they say. Two is it just depresses you. And so I decided that I was going to keep my eyes focused. I did see something on a very reliable source, um, Facebook. And... (laughs) I did see a, um, um, a video that I checked out that was true of Ben Watson. Uh, ben Watson is um, uh, tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. He is a, a man of colors, a black man. And he was actually on MSNBC, and they were asking him about racism. He says, Ben, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think the issue is? And Ben is a dynamic Christian, and I, I loved his answer. And Ben said, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. He said, internally, we are flawed. Internally, we need the life-giving power of Jesus Christ in our life. Internally, our sin causes us to be prideful. Internally, our sin causes us to be judgmental. Internally, our sin causes us to be angry and lift our, our voices and our, and our hands against our fellow brothers. And the only answer to sin is a personal relationship with... And MSNBC cut him off. But I know, and you know, that the only answer to sin is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it got me to thinking about, as a Christian... Do I have to stay behind this pulpit? I don't have to. I can come down here? Okay, good, because I'm a walker. As a Christian, what is my responsibility? Is my responsibility to defend Jesus? Or is my responsibility to reflect Jesus? Reflect Him. Amen. Preach it, brother. That's right. Because I think that too many Christians today feel like we have to stand up and defend Him. Instead of just reflect him. And so I think that our world, what is the answer? Because I, I, Can I tell you a secret? Lean in. L- lean in. Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back. And so what am I supposed to do to prepare for him coming back? Now, I'm not one of those people that's going to tell you it's tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to come. Scripture tells us we don't know, but Jesus is coming. So what is my responsibility? What am I supposed to be doing? And I think what I'm supposed to be doing is to reflecting Jesus everywhere I go. 
And so if you'll turn with me to John, the fourth chapter, I think that Jesus gives us a great example in John, the fourth chapter, exactly how we are supposed to confront this world, exactly how we are supposed to love on people, exactly how we are supposed to uh, represent Jesus Christ in this world and not just defend him, but represent him and how we are to approach people. And I, I love this. So um, um, I need you to hang with me because we don't have a whole lot of time right here, but we're going to go. We're going to go through the first um, uh, 38 verses in here and I may I may start off reading but then I may start I, I may start paraphrasing because we have a lot of lot of uh, scripture to deal with is that okay with you okay it will we're gonna call it the fellers translation all right and I'm going to tell you I'm going to stick as close to scriptures as I can in this but I, but stand with me in honor of God's word would you John 4 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. But he needed to go through Samaria. But he needed to go through Samaria. Emphasis fellers. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Jesus. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, and who it is, and who it is who say to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you Living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave the well and drank from it himself, as well as his son and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty, will, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray, Lord, that you take the reading of your word. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you speak to us through your word today, Father. I ask that the words that come out of my mouth, Father, are not my words, but are your words. And I ask, Father, that my my words would be true to what your scripture is teaching us, to what you're trying to tell us in this story, Father, in this in this. Um, illustration that you had with this Samaritan woman, Father. So I ask, Father, that you that you just instill in our hearts, Father, what you want to teach us through this passage, and that we take it and we just don't put it in our hearts, Father, but it becomes into our hearts, Father, and that our feet would move and that we would be stirred because we're in your presence, Father. Help us when we walk out of this place, Father, not to just be stirred and have an experience with you, but to let it be life-changing so that we can apply it to our lives, Father, 
And we can impact and influence the world that we live in. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... So here's the story. Go ahead, go, go ahead and sit down. So here's the story. Jesus, I, I, I put that emphasis on it, um, on importance, that said he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus was being intentional because he had an appointment with a broken-hearted Samaritan woman at that well, and he was going to touch her life. Can I tell you something? Jesus isn't willing to change your life till he's willing to drink from your cup. Jesus isn't willing to change your life until he's willing to drink from your cup. And, and I love this. I love this appointment, what it says. So, so he and his had to go through Samaritan. Uh, the Jews don't do that. They don't go through Samaria. They go around because they're prejudiced, because they're racist, because they don't like the people of Samaria. And so they normally go all the way around it. But Jesus went, said he needed to go through it. And so he sits there and he's weary from his journey. He sends his disciples off to Sychar, which is about five miles one way. He sends them off to get food. Now, probably, with Jesus being a preacher and everything, probably they went to Chick-fil-A. They probably got waffle fries. They probably got that Chick-fil-A sauce and a, a big, huge container of sweet tea, right? And, and so that's what. So he sent them off to Chick-fil-A to get that. And he sits down. Why do you think he sent them off? I think he sent them off because they're racist. And he was removing all the barriers that he could because he had an appointment with this Samaritan woman. So he's sitting there by the, by the well and the Samaritan woman comes up. Now there's something significant about the time of day that this woman is coming up. Okay, The woman comes up at noon. Okay, uh, That's probably one of the hottest parts of the day. It's getting hot. Why doesn't she come out with the rest of the women that uh, come out early in the morning when it's cooler? She's by herself. And we find out later on why. So she's coming out by herself, so we know that she's lonely. We know that she's outcast. We know that she's not a part. She's on, on, on the margins of society, and she's there. And so she comes out, and I, I think the question that Jesus asked her is very, very interesting. Woman, can you give me a drink? Now, why do you think Jesus asked her to give her a drink, to give him a drink. What's the one thing that they had in common? They were both thirsty and they were at the well. Jesus was finding common ground with this woman. The one thing that they could both relate to was water. And I want to stop and tell you something. You know why Jesus went into Samaria? Because spiritual needs override cultural differences. Spiritual needs override cultural differences. Do you think that, that we in the United States could, should learn that? There's something more important than the things that separate us. And we need to, as Christians, start looking for the things that we have in common with people than the things that divide us. Amen? And so that's what Jesus is saying right here. I made her mad. <laughs> I made her mad already. That's a new time. That's a new... No. It, 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 we start need to look for the things that we have in common with her. And so Jesus... Um, and, and I love what she says to him. She looks at him and she says, How is it that you, 
a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. <laughs> She's pulling the race card right here. I, can't, I think Jesus is saying, no, no, you did not just say that. I just sent my racist disciples away. I'm trying to build a, a common ground with you, and you're pulling the race card right here. But I love what Jesus says to her. He's trying to get her mind off of water. She's obviously coming here for water. He says, the, the water that you drink will make you thirsty again. But the water that I give you will never make you thirsty again. She goes, well, how can the water that you, you have nothing to draw with? And she's still thinking about the temporary when Jesus is trying to get her mind on eternal satisfaction right here. He's trying to get her mind on the, the one thing that's going to change her life. And he says to her, the water that I give will spring up in you like a fountain overflowing. Now, have you ever gone to a water fountain that has a whole lot of pressure on it and push the button and the water splashes you up in the face? Uh, I used to do that all the time because I don't do anything soft. Everything I do is like hard. Okay, And so I've been splashed in my face a lot of times. But you know what? I think that's a good example of what we as Christians are supposed to be like. Is that when we push our button that we just overflow Jesus. That wherever we go, we're on the athletic field that we're just overflowing Jesus. That when we're in the fields uh, uh, and, and we're talking to our field hands and we're talking to, to people that work first, that we're just overflowing Jesus. And that we're just overflowing with the living water that Jesus has. And I think that's why we don't have impact and influence in the world that we live in. Because we've been told by the world that you just need to keep your faith inside. Can I tell you something? A faith, an internal faith with no outward expression is no faith at all. An inner internal faith with no outward expression is no faith at all. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go stand on the street corner and, and, and preach him. That, that, may, that may not be your style. Matter of fact, that's not a whole lot of people's style. I'm just saying that if there is no outward expression of your faith at all, then most likely you have no faith at all. And we as Christians need to learn that, is the fact that God has called us to represent him in this world. And that's what, he was, that's what he's saying right here. He's going to build a relationship with this woman. He finds common grounds. He, get, he gets past his cultural differences and he finds um, a common ground with this woman. And I let, he finally gets her attention when she says, Lord, I want, or she says, I want some of that living water. What, what, so he's trying to get her, her focus off of the temporary and onto the eternal. And he gets her right there. And then notice the question that he asks in the next verse, in verse 15. He says, go get your husband. And she says, sir, I have no husband. He says, that's fact. That's true. And you've had four husbands, and actually the one you're living with now is not your husband. You see what he does? When he gets her attention, then all of a sudden he confronts her sin. Now notice, he gets her attention. He reminds her of her sin. He never goes back to it. He never goes back to it. He doesn't point his finger at her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't tell her that she's going to hell. He simply acknowledges it and confronts it. I used to say, and you may think I'm a heretic for saying this, but before you pass judgment on me, listen to everything I say. I used to say that man's greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. 
I was wrong. Man's greatest need is not the forgiveness of sin. Man's greatest need is Jesus. And with Jesus, you receive the forgiveness of sin. See the difference there that it makes? When you start with sin, you really push people away. But when you start with Jesus, it's a whole lot better. And Jesus is the one that forgives their sin. Jesus is the one that confronts their sin, not Brian Fellers. Amen? You agree with me on that? You see, it makes a huge difference on whether we start with sin or whether we start with Jesus. I'm going to start with Jesus every time. And so that's what he's trying to get our attention right now. I love what happens when he, when he says, when he confronts their sin. The woman says, uh, I perceive that you are a prophet. Duh. And then she go, and then look, then what she did? She goes, our forefathers believed that we should worship here on this mount, and you believe that you should worship in Jerusalem. What does she use to hide behind her sin? Religion. She goes, we believe this, you believe that. Now, have you, have you ever heard anybody hide behind their sin by using their religion? Yes, we hear that all the time. And Jesus is, I, I love what Jesus does here because Jesus starts saying, you know what? It's not about where you worship. That's not what's important. He says to her, my father's looking for those who are worship me in spirit and truth. Matter of fact, my father's looking for people that are going to, um, they're going to be open and honest with their sin, that are going to bring their sin and lay them at my feet and worship me with a pure heart. And not try and put on a mask. Because nobody would ever put on a, face, a false mask at church, would they? Jesus is emphasizing a relationship with Christ. An authentic, genuine relationship with Christ over religion. Because religion is just a set of, of rules made by who? Man. A, re- a genuine, internal relationship Intimate relationship is what Jesus is saying right here. He goes, because that's what's going to change her life. That's what's going to bring about a life effect, life-changing effect in her life. And she goes, well, we can argue all we want to, but uh, when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, he will teach us all these things. And I love what Jesus does right here. He says, I, who speak to you, am he. He reveals himself. You see, the work of salvation isn't on you. Is it on me? It's on him. It's when Jesus Christ reveals himself to other people. And my job is to reflect Jesus. My job is to bring people to him. My job is to... um, reflect him and tell others about him. But he's the one that does the work. All I'm supposed to do is tell him. And that makes a huge difference. And I love what, 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 it's, what it says. At just, at just this time, guess who shows up? Just this time as he reveals himself, guess who shows up back into the scene? And it says, and the disciples showed back up and say, and they said to themselves, why is he talking with this woman? And I love this statement. And it says the woman drops her water pot and goes into town and says, come see a man that told me everything that I'd ever done. 
You see, when you really meet Jesus, you drop what you're doing and you reflect him to others. When you really meet Jesus, you do. You drop what you're doing and you tell someone else about him. A internal faith with no outward expression is no faith at all. And so Jesus decides, so she leaves, she leaves the, the, the well, goes into town, and tells the men, and it says, and they were coming across the field. And Jesus uses this time to teach his disciples. He says to them, he says to them, did you get, no, he didn't say, did you get food? They said to him, master, eat, master, eat. Jesus' response to them was, um, I have food that you know nothing about. And I think that ticked them off. You know, they'd just gone five miles one way, five miles back with, with get Chick-fil-A, waffle fries, and sweet tea. And they brought that to Jesus, and he says, I'm not hungry. But Jesus' response to them is this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who who sent me, and to finish his job. Wow. I think he's teaching the disciples about soul satisfaction here. You want to be satisfied? Then do the will of your Father. You want to be satisfied? Then reflect me to others. Because that's where your satisfaction comes. That's why that pearl, that the quadriplegic laying in the infirmary could ask me if she could pray for me and say that I'm, God is so good to me. And saying God is good all the time and all the time God is good because in the midst of that, Jesus is enough for her. And Jesus is saying, you want to have true satisfaction? Then finish his work. How many of you like buffets? Oh, I, I like buffets, but they hurt me. You know, I, I'm one of those guys that I go past. I go past the salad. I'm not going to fill up on salad. I'm going straight for the potatoes. Uh, I'm going straight for the meat. I'm going straight for the bread. And, and, I, and I fill myself up with all, of those, with all of those things. And I go, and I get satisfied. But true satisfaction in life comes from filling myself up with Jesus. True satisfaction in his life is by fulfilling the purpose that he has for me and glorifying his name. And then I'm going to close with this. He takes, he takes a moment to teach the disciples and say... Do not say four months and then comes the harvest. Okay, do we have any farmers in here? None. None. All right, what is that a reference to? Uh, what's a farmer do when it's, when it's not time to, um, to harvest? He's planted, it's growing, and, and he's waiting for the harvest. What's he do? Anybody? Praise for rain. Yeah, I praise for rain, but he gets his equipment ready, right? So he, he's, he's busy getting his equipment ready. He says, do not, do not say four, four months and comes the harvest. He's saying, look up for the fields are wide under harvest. Why is he saying that? 
Look up, for the fields are wide out of the harvest. Who's coming across the field from the city? The woman bringing all the men of the city to come see Jesus. He's saying, look up, for the fields are wide unto harvest. He says, I'm sending you to reap what you did not sow. Do you want to be satisfied? Then finish the job. You want to be satisfied? Then take your eyes off of the temporary satisfaction and place them on the eternal satisfaction. I quickly went through 38 verses right there. But I want to challenge you, church, is don't feel the need to defend Jesus. Feel the need to reflect Jesus in your community, in your county, in your state. Come with me to Jamaica and reflect them there. That's where real soul satisfaction happens, is when you are reflecting Jesus, not defending him. Real life change comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at the great pains that he went to to touch one woman's life. He went through Samaria. He got rid of the barriers and sent the disciples away. He decided in his mind that spiritual needs overcome cultural differences. He found common ground with her. He pointed her to eternal satisfaction. He confronted her sin. He emphasized a a relationship over religion and revealed himself to her. There's an evangelism model right there to reflect Jesus to others. And then the last thing I want to say to you today is, church, look up. For the fields are white unto harvest. If we want to have impact, if we want to have influence in this world that we live in, then we will look up and reflect Jesus and quit defending him, but reflect him.